வணக்கம் என் பேர் மகாலட்சுமி நாங்கள் டூ தௌசண்ட் சிக்ஸ்டீனில் வந்தோம் பெரும்பாக்கம் We were told that all the facilities are available in this place. But when we came, there was nothing here. No current or water. The lift wasn't working and even the steps were not completed. It was very difficult. Some of the allotted houses were in really bad shape. Even a slight touch would cause the walls to crack or peel off. Some houses didn't even have doors. Even today, one of the biggest problems that the residents, particularly those in the lower floors face, is that when there are floods, the sewage system gets overloaded and the waste enters their houses. After we came here, both ladies and gents found it difficult to get jobs. Even if they wanted to go to work, they needed to go back to their old locality in Suryanagar almost 30 to 35 kilometers away when we were there people above 40 would do domestic work and earn some money for themselves but after coming here people above 40 simply couldn't go to work anymore These are the words of Mahalakshmi, a resident of the Perimbakam resettlement site located on the outskirts of Chennai city. The issue of universal housing rarely figures in conversations about the climate crisis, but safe and dignified housing we will see is imperative for securing resilience. In this episode, we bring the story of peripheral resettlement in Perimbakam. We will see how the practice of expunging the poor and the marginalized to the fringes of the city makes them particularly vulnerable to climate change we demonstrate that in perimbakam community responses are not explicitly targeted towards securing climatic resilience since climate impacts are stacked on top of pre-existing vulnerabilities the logic of climate resilience is woven into efforts of community members who are working towards social justice and economic empowerment My name is Rohit and I am a research fellow with the Grounded Imaginaries project. Chennai is one of India's biggest cities located in the southern state of Tamil Nadu. The latest IPCC reports predict that the coastal city will be severely affected by climate change, especially sea level rise, irregular monsoons and powerful cyclones. Rapid urbanization and destructive land use patterns are leading to the eradication of critical bioscapes within the city which in turn serve to worsen the impact of climate change. The results are already visible. The terrible floods of 2015 and 2021 which put large parts of the city under water demonstrated just how vulnerable the city is to climatic events. Particularly at risk are informal settlements called slums. dotted along the city's waterways which tend to overflow during heavy rains many of them are long standing sites that mushroomed around the areas that provided employment these precarious sites were often the only free space available in an otherwise tightly packed city 
but the threat of flooding and climate change provided just the right opportunity for evicting people from these sites, some as old as 100 years and forcing them to accept rehabilitation in poorly built mass housing complexes located on the peripheries of the city. Earlier attempts to move them into the same sites had failed as people refused to move to these distant locations. But the double whammy of flood resilience and water body restoration stopped all resistance by providing legal and popular support for mass eviction and rehabilitation. Perimbakam is one of the largest resettlement sites in the city, located 25 to 30 kilometers from core city areas. It has over 107 story blocks, each containing approximately 100 units. Each unit, on average, is between 300 and 420 square feet. The entire settlement of 20,000 plus households is packed into an area of less than one square kilometer. Mahalakshmi, whose words you heard some minutes ago, was among the earliest groups to be brought to Perimbakam. To their utter dismay, they realized that conditions in the new housing were no better and maybe even worse than their previous settlements. Urban anthropologist Karen Coelho asserts that mass housing projects have always been a disaster. In fact, previous experiences with mass housing had forced the city and one of its most important funders, the World Bank, to move to other forms of rehabilitation. The forced expulsion of communities to the fringes of the city creates a whole range of problems that she terms urban marginality. One of the ways I would elaborate on that is that is what I just explained is that it becomes a mass relocation, a mass sort of um, relegation of a particular class uh, and a particular caste or sort of the most um, marginal of, socially marginal of people to the margins of the city. Um, and this is not necessarily always just about distance because, yes, it is a, partly about distance because these resettlement colonies are often between 20 to 50 kilometers outside the city. But it's also about the fact that the quality of the lands that they get relocated to are very poor um, and more to do with the fact that they actually produce a sort of a disconnection because the way that these um, settlements are located, it, it does not allow their residents to access the city very easily. That means that transport uh, facilities, transport inf infrastructure uh, is far from adequate. Um, the, the, they are actually usually hidden away, disconnected from the main roads of that region. Say these are, this is a highway or a corridor, peripheral corridor. Uh, the resettlement colony will be disconnected by various things like poor roads or lack of, um, you know, easy transport from these main corridors. Um, more than that, uh, they the the en the entire colony is usually very poorly serviced, so they have a, a very low standard of basic servicing, whether it's water or sanitation or even the quality of construction of houses itself. So some of the huge uh, issues that residents face as soon as they go there uh, is about access to water, clean water. I mean, they get may they may get water in uh, on the best of circumstances, but that water is often highly polluted, um, and it's irregular, uh, and yeah, and it's dirty. 
Um, the, they may have in-house sanitation, but the way that the sanitation facilities are built is that it often spills over, and so you're having, you know, uh, backflows and sewage accumulating in these areas. Waste management is poor. The quality of healthcare is poor, even when they do have um, a primary healthcare center or something there. You usually, you know, they'll assign trainee doctors there, or or it will not be stocked with adequate medicines, or the doctor shows up once a week. Uh, the schools are of very poor quality. So with this sort of systematically discriminatory standard of services, which I think we find in resettlement colonies all over the country, actually, the story repeats itself all over the country, you see, um, uh, you know, another sort of a disconnection of these people from the uh, mainstream of urban life. And so uh, these are some, and, and of course, the, the, the story that everybody knows about is that they also get disconnected from their livelihoods because they, most of them are still dependent on the city for their jobs and their livelihoods. But because of the lack of transport um, and you know good connectivity, good mobility, they uh, often lose the jobs and fall into debt. So you have this sort of complex of problems that I'm calling a new urban i.e. socio-spatial marginality that gets produced in these uh, localities. The marginality experienced by residents become particularly visible during moments of crisis. Perimbakam is highly prone to flooding because the tenements are built on a wetland. Keep in mind that these are people who were evicted under the pretext of flood protection. Anecdotes from previous floods are nothing short of horrific. Flood water mixes with sewage and inundates lower floors, forcing residents to flee or move to the higher floors. The area becomes a hotspot for waterborne illnesses. Vehicles and property get submerged, incurring heavy losses for an already impoverished community. Poor road access and lack of buses and other transport means that the site is completely cut off from the main roads, leaving people stranded and without any support. A similar sense of desolation prevailed during another ecological crisis, the COVID-19 pandemic. More than 80% of those who live in the settlements rely on daily wages. Unable to travel to the city, most people lost access to whatever little livelihood opportunities they had. Quarantining and social distancing were impossible in these tightly packed settlements. The difficult transition to digital education forced many out of school. The climate crisis adds yet another dimension to the consequence of urban marginality. The effects of climate change that we're seeing are not linear or straightforward, rather they're multidimensional, showing up in the form of rising health costs, loss of livelihoods, diminished savings, low opportunities for upward mobility, and an overall reduction in quality of life, physical and mental well-being. This is the climate reality of Perimbakam. It's very important for community members to represent uh, their opinions in the decision-making processes because first the program is for them. 
So hence their voices should reflect, their ideas should reflect in the program. Now what is happening is that most of our researchers reveal that over 90% of the evictions that were conducted in Chennai were done without any community consultation processes. And people did not have a say over where they are going to be relocated, what kind of housing do they need and what sort of a design should be there. So as a result of lack of community-centered processes, we have realized that there are major flaws in the designs of the houses. The location is not accessible for communities and hence it actually makes the situation worse than, rather than developing their uh, living conditions. This is Vanessa Peters founder of the Information and Resource Centre for Deprived Urban Communities, IRC-DUC, a housing rights organisation and a friend of the Grounded Imaginaries project. Having worked with the homeless and evicted groups for more than a decade now, she argues that the laws and policies are inherently discriminatory and prejudiced against the poor. If the plan was to provide formal and safe housing, then communities who are going to be live in them need to be consulted every step of the way. But Vanessa argues that providing dignified housing isn't even part of the plan. So currently there is no specific process or platforms for communities to be consulted in first. So that is one of the major challenges in including the voices of people in the decision making forums. Uh, one example is when the housing policy of the state was being drafted. Though there were members of civil society organizations invited as part of the stakeholders' meeting, there was not a single representation of any community members of community-based group coming to provide their opinion. The socio-ecological impact of resettlement cannot be understood, let alone mitigated without community voices in decision-making processes. Doing so has grave consequences for the future of the site and its residents. Responses become limited to simple crisis management and mitigation tactics like draining water using electric pump sets or creating more efficient systems for distributing food and other relief material. These are fixes envisioned by outsiders and bureaucrats who have very little idea about the actual needs and the underlying vulnerabilities of the community. It leaves no room for authentic, grounded and radical imaginations of the future to emerge. Vanessa notes that a need for such a community-centric space was felt within Perimbakam. And that's how the idea of a community fellowship was born. Only the people living here know the kind of difficulties they face and the needs they have. Only a person from here can understand it best. People will convey it to a person from the inside very easily. That's the main reason for a community fellowship. That's the work that we are doing. The idea for a community-driven space emerged out of a series of stakeholder consultations and participatory design exercises conducted by IRCDUC. When the lack of street lights and safety of women and children emerged as a critical concern during one of these sessions, some community members were willing to take it forward and get the lights installed. With assistance from IRCDUC, they were able to draft a petition and get the lights installed in many intersections almost immediately. The success of this initiative demonstrated the power of community mobilization in creating tangible and effective change. It also reinforced the idea that community members are best positioned to envision the future of their site. IRCDUC later helped a small group of women who continued to be involved in the change-making processes set up a resource hub within the site. A fellowship was constituted to help them grow into the role of leaders and facilitators 
for the local community. Today, the Resource Hub serves as a space for residents to learn, collaborate and mobilize for change. Say there is a water leakage problem. They can come and convey it to us. Once they do that, we know where to take it and get it cleared. That's the work we do. We work for the people but also as one of them. When the school started, there was no compound wall. There was only one school. After filing several petitions, we have eight functional schools. Earlier, we didn't have a police station, just a booth. Now, we have one. The work of the community fellows is dictated by what residents in Perimbakam need. Sometimes, this takes the form of collecting certain pieces of information and presenting it in a way that the state and its agencies understand it. Other times, it is about identifying critical gaps and creating systems or bridges where currently none exist. For instance, post-evictions, people lost access to government support or pensions. This was a huge blow to the most marginalized in the community, such as the elderly, single mothers, and people with disabilities. In the absence of viable and regular employment, this thousand rupees, approximately 18 Australian dollars a month, is often the only source of income they have access to. The lack of community representation meant that this critical gap wasn't even visible to the high-level decision-making bodies. Therefore, the community fellows took it up. And over the last few years, they have managed to secure pensions for over 700 people. Of course, in the process, they had to contend with multiple line departments and several governmental bottlenecks, since there was no pre-existing policy. But with sustained effort, they've been able to streamline and simplify several parts of this process for Perimbakam. The fellows, along with the Grounded Imaginaries team, are now looking to share this learning with other resettlement sites and bring policy-level changes to fill the gap. Mercy and Maha, two of the community fellows, reflect on how the fellowship has transformed their thinking. After the community fellowship, we are always looking out for things. We are always thinking about how to do this and how to make that possible. If we see a child on the road now, we are automatically thinking about whether this child is going to school. Or if he's not, then why? Has he dropped out of school? Can we arrange for some financial assistance to help him continue his studies? After becoming a part of the community fellowship, we started thinking about all of this all the time. We can do a lot of things because we are doing this. If we choose to be at home, we can only take care of our own problems. But because we stand in unity, people are also approaching us. If there's anything, they know they can come to us. I can say very proudly that people know that they can come to us about problems in Perimbaka. Even the slum board points them to us for some particular things like pensions or other issues. We have been able to imprint our work in the minds of the people here. In the beginning, I wasn't involved in a lot of things. Only after becoming part of an association and becoming a community fellow did I start getting involved. I realized that there are so many things happening within the community and such things can actually happen. Also that I have stayed unaware of all these things for so long. Today, the Resource Hub and the community fellows who anchor it are involved in a number of initiatives and programs that go beyond securing housing rights for the residents. The fellows describe these multi-pronged attempts as ways to make the community stronger. Resilience building is a core objective in everything they do. 
These include learning centers in the evening for children in the community, securing scholarships for them to pursue higher studies, working with policymakers and the state to fill critical data gaps using surveys and enumeration, building faster feedback loops between residents and authorities, managing a community garden, and organizing outreach campaigns on education, healthcare, water security, etc. Some of them are highly successful endeavors, while others are still finding their footing. But they're nevertheless important because they address gaps that the community has identified in their path towards securing resilience. The work of the fellows puts forward a grounded and alternative imaginary of resilience built on community perspectives. This stands in sharp contrast to the technofix imaginary of the state, which seeks to climate-proof the city using top-down and generalist measures like flood mitigation, water body restoration, and other geoengineering tactics. Such exclusionary initiatives are what gave rise to areas like Perimbakam in the first place. The imaginary of doom propelled by their forced rehabilitation is countered by the work of groups like IRCDUC and their community fellows. However, despite their transformational work, the state is slow to recognize the legitimacy and impact of their action. One of the most critical challenges for the community fellows is that they do not get recognized for their work. Many often we find that uh, wherever they go for entitlements or meeting other civil society uh, organizations, there is always uh, initial hiccup of not being recognized, not being endorsed for the kind of work that you do. But yet, you know, these women, despite all these odds, there was an incident when one of the community fellows shared with me, when I went to meet this particular person, he made me stand throughout the entire conversation. So it was very, uh, it was completely an undignified act. I was feeling extremely hurt with the way I was being treated. But today we find that it's the same community fellow who said, I went to the same office and this time they offered me a coffee. So uh, they have, they've seen it all. And it was a very uh, long journey, but it was a transformative journey that we have seen. Because despite all the challenges, one thing that kept them going is the conviction to ensure that whatever they have taken up will be completed, the task that they have taken up will be addressed. Community-led transformation can only truly succeed if current political, economic and discursive realities choose to align themselves with it. In Perimbakam's case, the odds are currently stacked against community action. Not just the work of this set of people, but several grounded responses advanced by different community movements. One of the biggest barriers blocking action is a lack of land ownership. The land on which the tenements stand is owned by the Tamil Nadu Urban Habitat Development Board, a non-administrative body in charge of eviction and rehabilitation in the city. Community spaces are also under the control of this agency and therefore residents cannot use them without their explicit permission, which is often denied or delayed to death. Feeling a lack of ownership, fellows assert, is a strong reason for disillusionment among community members. As we saw throughout the episode, community participation must be at the center of rehabilitation efforts. One of the most devastating results of not including them in the planning stage is the unemployment crisis in resettlement sites. The lack of jobs in the area feeds into and compounds all the other vulnerabilities. This is a crisis brought about by apathy and lack of foresight and must be actively dealt with at the highest level 
of policy and governance. While community members have been taking several steps to aid this process, the on onus falls squarely on the state to create systems to provide dignified livelihoods to residents. We also need to take a critical look at policy and public discourse that allowed for the forced marginalization of a certain section of society to the fringes of the city, that too in poor quality housing sites. There's a deep socio-cultural bias at play here. Despite considerable evidence that the infrastructure in Perambakkam is not sufficient, more and more people have been brought from different parts of the city. This is because of highly discriminatory policies against the urban poor. Phrases like slums are eyesores and that they need to be banished reinforce unjust socio-cultural notions of who does and does not belong in the city. We hope that by amplifying the voices of those on the ground working to transform their futures, we're gradually rewriting the negative narratives of Perimbakan and championing an alternative story of community empowerment, solidarity and agency. This episode was produced by the Grounded Imaginaries Research Project, funded by the We Can Rasmussen Foundation. The project partners are the Sydney Environment Institute, the Social Entrepreneurship Association Oroville, and India and Bharat together. To stay on this journey with us, follow the project on Instagram at grounded underscore imaginaries and tell us what questions and ideas are alive for you. Help us share this podcast series far and wide to inspire communities in all pockets of the world facing the reality of climate change and allowing us through our collective action to know that alternative futures are possible.